We have just finished our series going through Genesis 1 through 12. This summer we have a series entitled Good News. We'll be examining different passages that relate to the good news of Jesus. But today, once a year, every year, once a year, we have a time where we dedicate our children. And on that day, we have a sermon specially focused on that. So our passage for today is just one verse. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and open there. If you do not have a Bible, we have some that have been uh, disinfected. And so they can, our ushers will bring one to you so that you can follow along in the scriptures with us. So just signal to them that you need one, and they'll make sure and get you one. Really, uh, the most important time in our service is the time where we hear God's Word read. That is the most undiluted form of hearing from God, straight from His Word. So we are going to stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, I will be reading Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You can be seated as we pray. Father, it's a short verse. I pray that your Holy Spirit would cause the truths of this word to linger in our hearts, to shape how we live our lives. Father, we unite our prayers together. Together we're asking for the work of your Spirit. Teach us what you want us to know from your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have to know how hard it is to be preaching a passage on God's Word to fathers as a father. Over and over again this week, I'm like, oh, just messed up. Oh, botch that one. And so I want to be clear about the posture I come to you with this morning. I don't come as the uh, parenting guru ready to dispense little droplets of parenting serum that are going to save you. I come as a fellow parent a fellow struggling parent who needs God's word and needs to be reminded of what God has said. I want to say one other thing to you. I know not everyone in this gathering is a parent. But I think as you hear what God says to parents, God's spirit will help you understand different implications for your own life. Maybe someday you'll be a parent. Or, even if that's not what God has in store for you, there are clear implications as maybe second or third level implications that I think God will use in your life to encourage you. With that, I want to ask the parents a question. Where do you want to raise your children? Where do you want to raise your children? Let me give you two choices. You could raise them in a rundown apartment that's roach infected, 
No playgrounds nearby, and the sidewalks outside have broken glass on them. Or you could raise them in a clean but simple country cottage that opens to grass fields and fresh air. Where do you want to raise your child? I think we know in that example where we would want to raise our child, but that is the question that this passage raises before us. And there are two options. And the first option is the to raise them in the soil of provocation. The soil of provocation. So, verse 4 begins, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, God here addresses fathers because fathers, he is assigned to the role of head of the home. But because he's calling on them to create a certain environment, there are implications for both fathers and mothers in these commands. But it's interesting that he, in this particular command, singles out fathers. Because listen to the other commands given to us as husbands and dads. Earlier in chapter 5 of Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wives. Nourish and cherish them like your own body. And then here, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In Colossians 3, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And then, in 1 Peter 3, Fathers, or sorry, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding manner. That's what he has to say to us. And you hear all those commands and you're like, wait a second, does he know something about me? Because we as men are wired a certain way, aren't we? We're soldiers. We're going to fight for what's true and what's good. We're businessmen. We know how to get things done. We're mechanics and engineers. There's a logic. I need this outcome, so I have to do X and Y, and if I do that, I get this outcome. And with that wiring, we also carry a certain authority, God-given authority and strength. And so what many of us do then is we use that God-given authority and strength to coerce people to get done what we want to get done. Maybe we use intimidation. Or we know how to manipulate. Or we use shame. Or the giving and withholding of praise and affirmation and affection. And when we do these kind of things, we suck the oxygen out of our home. Creating an environment that is hostile to growth. You take one plant and put it in the wrong kind of soil with the wrong kind of sunlight and it wilts. 
You put the same plant in the right kind of soil and the right kind of sunlight and it flourishes and grows. And when we as fathers use our God-given authority in ways that are not tender and loving and gentle and kind, when we use our authority to assert what we want, to get out of our kids what we want, we're sucking that oxygen out of our home. We treat our children more like automatons, little robots, that if we just program the right way, we'll get what we want out of them. That is the natural bent of us as men. In our fallen human state, we are born with a natural bent that does that kind of thing, which is why over and over again, whenever God is addressing husbands or fathers, He's saying basically the same thing. Be meek and humble and tender. Which is why everything changes when we as men, through Christ, are restored to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Our sins forgiven, removing that obstacle that separated us from our Heavenly Father, restored to relationship with Him. And from Him, He who disciplines us and corrects us, rebukes us at times, we find love. Steadfast, unending love. An environment of hope and life. Tenderness, care, patience. And that experience with our Heavenly Father transforms us. Which is why in the book of Ephesians, you have three chapters explaining all that God has done for us in Christ to restore sinners like us to Him before it gets to these kinds of commands. Because we walk as children of the light because He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Because we have experienced that relationship with our Father, our Heavenly Father, and know what He is like, we are changed as dads. Now there's a, there's a principle I want to state that's I think very helpful in just kind of putting, putting feet to the ground on this. And I call it the stride principle. The stride principle. Because I remember before I was married, hearing a sermon on parenting. And one of the points the pastor made was that you can learn a lot about a dad by how he walks with his children. If he is keeping his own large strides and quicker pace and and nearly dragging his child behind as the child struggles to keep up with dad, that's one thing. But if a dad intentionally slows his pace, aware of the short legs of his child and the pace that child can walk at, and slows his own pace to match his child's, that is the heart posture God calls for. Now I call this a stride principle. It's not an absolute rule. First of all, because sometimes, yes, you do need to teach your children not to dawdle. But more importantly, you might be able to adjust your stride length, but I'm actually talking about a heart posture. A heart posture that bleeds into everything. How you help them with their homework. How you teach them how to drive. How you handle them when their emotions burst 
because of something that you don't even understand? Do you slow your pace down and say, I am here to use my authority to bring a blessing to them and to help them thrive? Or do we say, match my stride. Get in line. This is what we're doing in our home. There's a world of difference. The bottom line is that the way we use our authority as fathers in the home should mirror the way our Heavenly Father has used His authority in our lives. And so when it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become angry, I believe what it's calling us to is to be aware of the strength and authority He has given us naturally as men, as the leaders of our home, and to steward that, not to serve ourselves and to make everything get in line with what we want, but to use that to humble ourselves, to slow our stride and match our stride with our children so that we can bring blessing to them. Understand her unique temperament, her unique personality. Understand her unique needs and enter into her world. The soil of provocation. Before I close this section of the sermon, I want to just pass along some wisdom. The staff gather before the sermon and discuss the passage together, and Terry Laidlaw was there, the early applauder, Terry Laidlaw. And he just, there were three comments he mentioned there that I just felt they were in light of this verse, this part of the verse, and I thought they were so wise that I wanted to pass them along. His first point was, When your children are angry, your first question should be, have I sinned? Of course, he's not saying every time a child's anger, it's your fault. There's sin in them. But it's a good first question. Have I sinned? The second thing he said is we want to parent in such a way that the children's responsibility to honor and obey their parents is a joy, the natural outcome of the relationship we fostered with them. I thought that was good too. The third one was maybe the most profound to me. He said, fathers need to understand how vital their relationship is with their children. That if we handle it well, we can avoid lifelong, or I think he said long-lasting, heart-level wounds. The soil of provocation. I don't think there is a dad in the hearing of this who wouldn't want to get his family out of a situation that was roach-infested with broken glass out on the sidewalks. And yet many of us, by how we handle ourselves in the home, are creating an environment that is actually far worse and far more damaging for our children. The soil of provocation. But there is a better way. There is a better way. But 
bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We could paraphrase this, I think, to capture a little bit more what it's saying. The environment in which we should be raising our children is God's instruction and discipline and nurture. That is the environment in which we bring up our children. This second point, if the first was the the soil of provocation, the second one is the garden of God. It's not an explicit reference to Eden or the new heavens and new earth. It's just talking about the environment with which we raise our kids. And, and, And here's what I want us to understand from the second half of the verse. This is talking about where we bring up our children. You'll notice it doesn't say, but bring them up by means of the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It says bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The Greek word behind that, bring them up, is the same word used in the Greek translation of Psalm 23 when it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. The garden of God. When God the shepherd is at the helm, where does he take us? He takes us to the green grass, the quiet resting streams. That's where he takes us. And that is where we as parents are to bring up our children. Let me try and explain it like this. Maybe as your parent, you're like, okay, I'm a Christian parent. That means I need to teach my kids the Ten Commandments and help them memorize a few verses and maybe bring them to church fairly regularly. Well, that would be kind of like saying, the way I obey the command to move to Canada is by eating a lot of maple syrup. Yes, those are good things. But this isn't about doing a few things. This is about an environment in which we raise our children. We want the environment of our home to be shaped by the discipline and instruction and nurture of of, of God. The way He would shape our home. You'll notice I'm using those words discipline and instruction fairly interchangeably. I'm adding the word nature in, I mean nurture in, because those words really, they're fairly generic words. They have a broad range of meaning and there's a lot of overlap between them. So if you have the word instruction and discipline and nurture all together, you're kind of getting what those words are about. But the point is, it's God shaping the environment. I was, uh, I was hearing the sermon, or I was actually reading the sermon that the great British expositor John Stott gave on this passage in my preparation. And uh, he quoted from a novel called Giant. And in this novel, Giant, there's a, there's a Texas ranch owner who has, has, a, has a ranch that's over a million acres. His name's Jordan Benedict. And Jordan Benedict has a son, and when his son gets to be about three years old, he decides it's time for this 
this, uh, this son who hasn't shown a real affinity for horses yet to sit on a horse. So he gets him dressed up like a cowboy and all the things that most three-year-old boys would love and sits him on a horse and the boy melts in tears and will have nothing to do with the animal. And Jordan Benedict kind of sneers in disgust at his child and says, I rode before I could walk. Now Jordan's wife was right there and she said, all right, that was very cute, but that was you. This is another person. Maybe he doesn't like horses. To which he responds, he's a Benedict and I'm going to make a horseman out of him if I have to tie him to do it. She says, you've been playing God so long that you think you run the world. I run the part of it that's mine. She says, he's not yours. He's yours and mine and not even ours. Whose world are we raising our kids in? Is this my world? He's a Benedict, and I'm going to make sure he grows up to be a Benedict. Or is this the discipline, nurture, and instruction of God? This is God's world. And I'm going to take this boy or this girl who is an image bearer of God and raise her to be an image bearer of God. How do we do this? What's the difference between memorize a few commandments or verses and go to church and, and have uh, actually raise them in the, the garden of God? What's the difference? Karen and I learned uh, a really helpful axiom when we were early in parenting, and it goes like this. The state of the heart is the state of the home. The state of the heart is the state of the home. It's true. Probably all just, no one needs to be convinced of that. If that's true, the way we raise our children in the garden of God is for our own hearts to be dwelling in the gospel. Because we as parents are also sinners. We are also people in need of God's instruction and nurturing and discipline. And as we press hard into God and to His gospel and to really knowing Him, if we are living in that world, of His instruction and His discipline, then that will be the environment of our home. How well do we know our God? And as we get to know Him better and better and better, that will create the environment in our home. The state of our heart will be the state of our home. If you have your Bible still open, or if, even if you don't, turn to Ephesians or Exodus 34. In Exodus 34 is when Yahweh in a unique way reveals to Moses and to the people of Israel what he is like. It's one of the most uh, important passages in all of Scripture because it gets picked up on after Exodus and repeated over and over and over and over again. This is maybe the best articulation of the character of our God that we can find in Scripture in, if you're trying to do it concisely. Ezekiel, or sorry, Exodus 34. I keep doing all the e-books. It's Exodus. Exodus 34. And I'm going to start in verse 6. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, 
a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. We could go on. It's a good entire passage to meditate on. But I read it to say, how well do we know our God? Not just know some theological information about Him, but really know Him as the one who is patient with me who forgives my iniquity, who shows steadfast love continually for me, who is patient and merciful, but who also takes sin very seriously. If we want our children growing up in the garden of God, we ourselves must know God in these ways through Christ, through the Gospel, through His Word. So that we're not saying... I'm raising Benedicts. We're creating an atmosphere in our home where we're raising little followers of Christ. You know, something comes up in the home. You think, it's important for my children that that they they know it's important to pray. I want my children to know it's important to pray. So I'm going to pray right now. Let's pray before meals because that's important. Let's pray before bedtime because I want my kid to grow up praying. No. I mean, yes, you should want that for your kids, but pray because it's in your heart because we are a home that depends upon God and realizes our dependence upon Him and so is crying out to Him out loud all the time and our kids see it and they're brought up in it because that is the garden in which they're growing. Or you can think of it like this. Say, um, little Tommy has just slugged his brother because his brother's not sharing his new toy with him. Okay? I'm sure you've never experienced any scenario like that. Neither have I. Option one. You go to Tommy as a good Christian parent and say, in James it says, man's anger does not bring about God's righteousness. So I want you to memorize this verse. Write it out ten times. It's one approach. But what if we approached it like this? Tommy, you hit your brother. Can you help me understand why you did that? See that stride principle? Slowing my stride, seeing what's going on there. And Tommy says, My brother wouldn't share his toy with me. Whenever I get a new toy, I share it. He won't share with me. I was upset. I asked him. He wouldn't do it, and so I slugged him. He deserved it. And then, perhaps we could say, it's really hard when there's something we want that we don't get. Do you know, last year, there was something at work, a promotion that Dad really wanted, and I didn't get it. And it made me frustrated. I didn't think it was fair. I was upset. 
but I realized I wasn't trusting God. And that was part of what was making me upset. I didn't trust that his ways were good. So I actually had to confess that to God. And because of what Jesus has done, he forgave me. And Tommy says, does that mean you don't have a job anymore? No, no, no. Dad's still employed. But I want you to know it is hard in those situations, but that's why we have a God who can help us. Can I pray for you? And then maybe you have to give him some form of discipline or whatever after. Then he can write the sentences or whatever. But do you see the difference? This is an environment in our home. It's about what's going on in my heart. We're all in this together, fellow sinners who need the same garden. This is about where we raise our children. Let's say you're one of those people who just... Uh, didn't like jocks. The jocks in high school were the ones, you didn't really connect with them, you kind of looked down on them or whatever. They weren't the kind of people. You were not going to raise a jock. And then about a half a decade into raising your son, you realize he wants to be a jock. Now you have a question to ask yourself. Maybe you could say, Benedicts aren't jocks. And you're going to make sure this kid doesn't grow up to be a jock. Or you can say, can you be a Christian and be a jock? Is there a Christian way to be a jock? Answer, yes. So now, because my job is not to have my own little kingdom and raise my own children to be my little image bearers, but actually to have be part of God's kingdom and to raise our children to be God's image bearers. Now I have to change my mindset and to say, how do I take this boy that God has entrusted to me and raise him to be who God has intended him to be as a Christian? I'm trying to put flesh on some of this as we think it through. What does it mean to be bringing up our children in God's instruction and discipline. Because there are these two places we can raise our children, right? Presented in this passage. In the garden of provocation. Sorry, in the soil of provocation. Or in the garden of God. We need the gospel that shapes us and shapes our heart continually and that affects all of what we do. Now, there's really good news in this because maybe you're hearing this sermon and you're going, oh my goodness, I've fallen short. Maybe you're a grandparent and you're hearing this and you're going, I blew it. I didn't do a very good job of that with my kids. Do you know what? If the, if the garden we're all growing in, the kingdom we're all growing in is God's kingdom, it's good news. Because it's about sinners finding grace from God. So what you do, you confess first to God and experience His grace and His forgiveness. And then you do something magical. Maybe not magical, spiritually powerful. You go and you apologize to your children and ask their forgiveness without qualification. One of the best things we can do as parents is to apologize to our children when we sin 
without qualification. Not, I shouldn't have yelled and lost my temper, but you shouldn't have. Just apologize and ask forgiveness. And then point them to a God who's merciful and kind. So this isn't about being a perfect parent. This is about where we grow up, ourselves and our children, the environment in which we're raising our children. This pasture's green, those still waters of God's garden. Where will we raise our children? Somewhere where there's an infestation caused by our misusing our authority, forcing kids to match our stride and provoking them to anger and discouragement. Or, or in the garden of God where there's forgiveness and grace, steadfast love, sins taken seriously, Now, don't hear any of this as saying you don't have to have hard conversations with your kids that confront them. We do because it's God's garden and He commands us to do that. Read the book of Proverbs. But we do it in a certain environment. This is where it happens. It's in a certain context, right? So this is what we're called to. The garden of God. I said at the beginning that this has implications for all of us. Because you know what? All of us are actually, if we're in Christ, have experienced that relationship, restored relationship with our Heavenly Father that transforms us in all our interactions, whether that's with our roommates or with our adult children who we see making all sorts of mistakes and don't know when we should bite our tongue and when we should say something. In our workplace. The same... Truth has implications for all of us. We are image bearers of God living in His kingdom, seeking to make His name great. And while it has particular application for fathers, and then even just a slightly more broadly, particular application for Christian parents, this has sweeping implications for all of us. As image bearers of God, seek to be such people and create such an environment where others see the goodness of our God and His gospel and are drawn to it. So let's be such people and let's create such an environment in our church family. God helping us. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we hear this and we immediately think of all the ways we've fallen short which drives us to Christ, who forgives us and is patient with us, corrects us, rebukes us, and helps us grow, trains us for righteousness. But in that safe context of a God who loves us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.